0: Welcome back to the Key in the Light podcast, the premier whiskey podcast, now with the mention of whiskey in its title. Hi, this is Jake, coming live
1: from Chicago, Illinois, along with Callum O'Donnell. We're back. Special one today. Eh. Maybe. We don't have enough headphones, apparently. Apparently we don't have enough
0: headphones. Um, the guest today has elusively avoided us for f- almost four years now. It's a conversation that we've been wanting to have, uh, asking him to come on, bugging his PR agency ridiculously amount of times. But uh, just whenever we have microphones set up to record, he somehow elusive has to go on a flight somewhere or go talk to a special group of whiskey people, something along those lines. But it may be about a whiskey that you've heard us talk a little bit about on this program, since I incidentally work for such distiller, such distillery that hasn't been said yet. But um, yeah, the guest is a, a special one, somebody who uh, has helped me out over the lot. Of Oh, the last few years, a lot, I should say. Um, giving me a very, uh, I feel, important job, an important task of spreading what he created um, all over to this great country of America. Four more years. Um, <laughs> but without uh, being said, it's somebody who is um, started a, a brand with just really a, a vision and a dream, and 15 years later is selling that vision and dream in the form of whiskey across the entire country and now lives in America to lead up our U.S. operations for Star Ward Whiskey. And that person is the one and only founder of Star Ward
1: Whiskey, David Vitale. Thanks.
0: Ew! Hey, Colin, how you doing?
1: The Jose Mourinho of whiskey. Oh, okay. That's the special one.
2: one.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> I think she's the mm, <laughs> mm, mm. I was thinking more like, who's a good vodka reference, you know, to have there? Oh, oh no, 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 no. Pink vodka. Oh, oh no, no. Absolute vodka. Um, flavored v- all the flavored vodkas. No, no. Um no, you just made started making whiskey from day one.
2: Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was um, I don't think you can be passionate about two things was the bottom line. Not vodka wow. and whiskey. Yeah. And so like um, we kind of dabbled with some gins early on just to have some fun. And to prove that we could. But it was one of those things where I was like, I'm I can't be as excited about ginning other gin producers are being um and so we just kind of uh you know held on yeah you know white knuckled way and just funded our way to whiskey without any of that cash flow that gins and vodkas and liqueurs provides for the Mm -hmm. first five years of starwood
0: yeah it was interesting yesterday at an event when we have a lot of questions to ask you a lot of personal questions a lot of uh uh, maybe yeah. intimate questions. Because... <laughs> but someone asked you, do you guys have like an MGP over in Australia? And the answer is obviously no. So when your distilleries are beginning, it's just all on you.
2: Mm, that's right. So um, you sh- I think that that's changing. Like huh. there are a lot of um, producers now starting to think about um, uh, getting into whiskey um, without a brand. Just as, as the producer of this spirit and then
1: a wholesaler, yeah. Yeah, a
2: wholesaler, exactly. Um but certainly when I started we were whiskey distillery number ten. <laughs> yeah, that's in, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, in Australia.
1: I did the math. That's mad, isn't it though? I mean, what did that like sorry to jump in, but what did that look like for you, you know, at the time? Because you know, we we had we spoke with Trey Zeller, right, recently on the pod. Good friend. And great friend of the pod, uh, but he, you know, he talks about how he started making bourbon before it was in, before it was in vogue, as he likes to say, but, you know, at the same time, bourbon had a massive history in America, whiskey had a massive history in America, but, you know, if you were the 10th distillery in Australia, it's probably the 10th whiskey distillery ever in Australia.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot, I mean, we could do a podcast on the whole yeah. history right. of Australian whiskey leading up to um, Starwood starting in a, you know, I mean, it dates back to colonial times during the a really huge gold rush in Australia right. in the late 19th century. So, of course, wherever there's miners... Is be boost. That's <laughs> no, E-R-S, not
0: O-R-S. A little more directional. more directional. There you go. More perfect. Media. Perfect. You can move the microphone around too. Okay. If you had headphones, you would un- you would know yeah, that. I would know yes. This. Ah, yes. God. I mean, we. I have four <laughs> pairs of headphones. I mean, who knew? Should I restart the podcast so we can no. adjust? Okay. We're good. Oh.
2: So you know, there's a, there's a whole history of whiskey that um, we could fill a podcast in just getting to that before, point before it started. But yeah, whiskey number, distillery, whiskey distillery number 10 in the modern era, which kind of started in 1992 with Bill Lark from the Lark Distillery in Tasmania, um, getting the first license um, to make make whiskey. That was his objective. They made a whole heap of other products as well, but whiskey was his passion. And, you know, um, that scene at that point in time it was really modeled on a Scotch whiskey kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. So it was all single malt. Um, it was all very much aged in X um, fortified wine barrels or X bourbon barrels. And you know if you looked at the label at from 40 paces, you you know you could be excused for thinking it was a Scotch whiskey, right right? And so when I started, and, and all of it, amazing quality. In fact, you know, uh, the famed Sullivan's Cove won Best Single Malt in the World in 2014, right? So, but back in 2007, when I, when I started Starwood, really, the, the idea really wasn't about can we make great whiskey in this country? That had already been established. Mm-hmm. The Tasmanians had done a great job of that. For me, it was about saying, can we move it from the very, very top shelf or the dusty kind of gift cabinet that, mm. you know, you don't want to kind of... The exclusive stuff. The exclusive stuff to something that could be shared every day, um, something that would be readily available um, around the world and that would be, you know, true to form, consistently the same product every single time. Because those, the, the whiskeys that inspired me were kind of that format.
1: I think as well, one of the cool things about Star word and I'm I'm not a massive Australian whiskey buff or anything. We've we've obviously we've spent a bit of time in Benny's, a little bit of time, the two of us. Mm-hmm. But one once upon a time we did actually buy a couple of Australian whiskies that were on the on the rack on the table. Yeah. Um I, I can't remember what whiskies they were, but they were from Tasmania. Hell years Road. Yeah. yeah. And so we tried a bit of that and obviously I've tried an extensive amount of Star But I think one of the things that, that kind of proves your point or is, you know, coming into your point is that of of all the whiskies that I try, you know, the most modern one that, that I feel that tastes really, really good is probably Starward, right? Like, you know, you can get a bottle of the Twofold for less than, for less than you can get some gins, you know, out mm. there. Like you look at a bottle of Monkey 47 that will come in at 50 bucks or whatever, right. a Twofold will beat that every day of the week, yeah. you know? Yeah,
2: yeah. And that was the point. And, and you know, I knew when, when we were looking at um, setting up that we needed to scale up, mm-hmm. you know, that we needed to have um, depth of inventory to, to solve two problems. Mm-hmm. The first was consistency because I wanted to be deliver on the promise every single time, yeah. you know, and be very distinctive in the flavor profile using red wine barrels. But, you know, consistency through depth of inventory, but also That scale means that we've got economies of scale that then mean, you know, we can operate the stills hot all the time. They Mm. were running 24-7 for the first... Well, they still do, but, you know, for the first three years, I was running those stills 24-7. What Um, year is this? So I started actually distilling January 20th, 2010. 2010. So it took us two and a half years to kind of get going because I started the company in June 2007... And by the middle of September of that year, there was this sort of small kind of crisis mm. that the world went through. <laughs> right,
3: right. And so
2: raising capital through that environment was challenging, to say the least. But we got there. Try selling fine art. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, with your charm, yeah. Jake, no problems at all, right? It's all on my walls now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so um, it took us a little longer to raise the capital than we than we thought. Yeah. And then, but by the middle of 2009 i'd had enough capital to buy all of the shiny bits to make this distillery and mm-hmm. set it up um i had recruited our first employee sam slaney and we set about commissioning the distillery and by january the following year we were making whiskey which is pretty crazy
0: Can we go back before all that, when you were on Tasmania, Mm -hmm. learning from Bill? Yeah. Oh, right. Cool.
2: So I learned from Bill Lark um, how to make great quality whiskey, but also what I didn't want to do too, right? Like there was two parts to that conversation in that, you know, um, as I said, you know, there's a you could look this up on the internet time machine. So I'm not going to disclose names, but oh. one of the websites used to say we make Tasmanian whiskey in the finest of Scottish traditions. Hmm. And I'm like, well, that's great, but I think we're okay with whiskeys made in the finest of Scottish traditions. Like, what's yeah. the Australian tradition we want yeah. to kind mm. of craft? And so that was the curiosity that I brought to my time at Lark was to understand, all right, how do you craft an amazing whiskey? Mm-hmm. And they were doing that. But then let's understand both from a drinker perspective, but also a process point of view, how we might be able to innovate and and push some buttons um, and try different things. So actually the very first wine cask aged whiskey that I tasted was in Tasmania. It was one barrel at the Lark Distillery. But given the focus on ex-bourbon, ex-port, ex-sherry barrels... They looked at it and thought, oh, this is too astringent, way too extractive,
3: Mm.
2: not on point. You know, like the grippiness had kind of, it was overcooked. Mm. But to me, it just kind of planted a seed of like, well, sure, that was the big Aussie Shiraz of whiskey. But you could probably find another aging profile or another style of wine or something that might create something a bit more balanced. So I just parked that in the back of my head and then worked with Bill for... 18 months, making whiskey, helping them sort of scale up. They'd just set up a new distillery um, in the Coal River Valley, and um, we uh, wanted to make more whiskey, so I helped him set up basically the first program, a Whiskey Futures program. What's that? So um, it's kind of like a a CD, like a term deposit, where you buy the barrel of whiskey today for... Back then it was fifteen hundred dollars. I still remember the 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 pricing structure. So we you buy it for one thousand five hundred dollars, and then five years later the distillery would buy the barrel back off you for three thousand six hundred and eighty five dollars, which would mean that holy shit you've made a nine yeah. percent compounding return over five years. And so um, through that program we were able to lay away a whole heap more whiskey because it wasn't sitting on the balance sheet, and a lot of the a lot of the early barrels at Lark were actually owned by other people, but when the whiskey was mature, we were able to afford to buy it back. Interesting. And and um, put it into bottle.
0: Where did I that know, idea come from?
2: I saw something in... So Bill Bill had been kind of working with some high-net-worth individuals, mm. friends of the distillery, that were just investing. And like really, I don't think they had any kind of um, ambition to get their money back. They just felt like this was a great idea. Mm. And if it works, then... We've helped somebody go somewhere and I've got a story to tell. If it doesn't work, it's not going to break my personal finances. And then I was on a plane to Sydney. And in one of the um, airline magazines was a brochure, like a a, a one-page ad for a similar model with um, people that were seasoning oak. Mm -hmm. And you could buy it by the lineal meter because it was in Australia. And you'd buy like so many linear meters of, of um, oak, it would be air dried over mm-hmm. three years and then they'd pay you a premium per lineal meter on the way back.
1: It's so funny because there's a lot of companies that are doing that now as their, that's their business. That's their business plan. Um, like you know, there's I know that obviously Cask X was the big drama here. Oh yeah. That was a that, big, yeah. you know, there was a big controversy there. But now, you know, you look at other companies like uh, Cask Trade, that's what they do they and recently the there was a study done about you know whiskey as an investment and it's like one of the best investments that you can make over the last 10 years i think it's it's made more money than almost any other any other like investment material yeah
2: and you know i think that this whole notion of whiskey trading i mean obviously independent bottlers in scotland have been doing that for for decades um and so It wasn't, but the, the the nuance to this was actually we want the whiskey back.
3: Mm-hmm. And so
2: I structured an agreement that was basically mutually beneficial in that at the end of the term, the customer could say, well, um, it was an option, right? So here is my put option. You need to buy this back off me. Or um, alternatively, we, we felt like the whiskey was ready so we could issue a call option and buy it back. So that was kind of the really um, interesting um, set up for the for the distillery to scale up and after about a year
1: oh, we... Hold on, we're getting attacked by Remy here. <laughs> Lola. Lola. <God. laughs>
2: uh, after about a year we were so you wanna start again? No, you guys keep going.
1: Yeah. I'll figure it out. Come, on, come. Come. Well this is this is the sometimes she speaks and here. Come on, come here. Come here. Go. She knows that she's in trouble now. Come on. Just set that. Oh,
0: yeah. Just sell them. As long as it was toy, you're
2: fine. Sorry. So yeah, after about a year of scaling up and selling this product, the whiskey futures program to um, uh, for high net worth individuals, I felt like we'd kind of stabilized the business. There was enough money to kind of keep the operations running. Keep the lights on. We were making three barrels a week. Um,
0: How far along was Lark into the being a distillery at this point?
2: Oh, this is too. know, yeah, so um, com, you know, I think that Bill made his first whiskey in 1992. Okay, right. But in terms of commercial right. storefront, it wasn't really until the late 90s, early noughties. Because he did, did,
0: he have the ambition to go across the world with this whiskey.
2: I think so one day. But okay. for him, it was like, well, we've got enough whiskey laid away with those three barrels. So were, these were quarter casks. Mm. So about 180 bottles yeah, per, per um, about 180, 500 mil bottles okay. oh, um, yeah. that were in um, available to kind of buy back at that point in time. And he was like, well, this is an abundance of whiskey. Like, we're really happy with this. And I'm like, no, 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 this is phase one of my <laughs> seven phase. My master plan. Yeah. Plan to, to scale and, and take like to the world mm. and so in april of 2007 i grew a little frustrated and i think they did too to be fair about like me wanting to be bigger be bigger and then feeling like
1: you were being oh, held I'm, back and, yeah um,
2: and so we we went into a board meeting and i kind of had my moment of truth and said look either either we do this or i'm going to do it on my own and bill so you know wisely said well david i've been waiting for you to come to this Realisation for about six months now. Mm. And so with their blessing, in fact, they're like one of the first shareholders in Starwood. Um, with the blessing of Lark, uh, Bill, Bill and Lynn Lark, we set up Starwood. Mm. And then it took another two years, as I was saying, to kind of raise that mm-hmm. capital to, to set it up and, and get it going. But I think the thing, you know, alongside crafting a great whiskey... The cellar door, the tasting room for Lark, was uh, right next door to the Tourism Information Centre in Hobart. Mm -hmm. And the Tourism Information Centre didn't have restrooms. They were just public restrooms in the park across the street. So Bill, in his infinite wisdom, said to the team there, if anyone needs a restroom, don't send them to the park. Send them in here. I'm fine with it. And so people would kind of walk into this tasting room and be blown away about what they're seeing. There's like a copper pot still in the corner.
1: This is the fanciest toilet I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's Most a copper pot ever.
2: Yeah, copper pot. Yeah, copper pot still in the corner. There's like aging whiskey barrels like lining the walls, and then you kind of step down a couple of steps and there's like 250 single malt whiskies on the back bar, which is what happened to me. I was kind of completely blown away by by this place. Mm. And so people would walk in and be completely surprised and we I would do the storytelling bit of talking about how we're here and what we're selling and all these sorts of things. And I really learned very quickly that, you know, obviously... In a tourism context, the tasting room's amazing, mm-hmm. and it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Like Damn. in terms of having three or four different types of whiskies available for them to buy, and them going, "Well, I'm actually like all three, or "This is the one I'm going to take back." But really, it was a memento from their trip and a great story to tell. That
1: they're not they're not buying the whiskey because it's whiskey. They're buying it because we were in Australia and we went to this bathroom, and the next thing you know, a we distillery. were in a whiskey tasting. Yeah. yeah. So, so and is that t shirt.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah it should be and so the the, the the great thing the great thing about that for me was that like oh this is like great as a tourism business you know you can really do some great storytelling and something quite unique and distinctive and reflects the place it's made all the things that whiskeys do right but the challenge was once we started selling to bars around town or um, on the mainland in on the, you know in, a, in Australia Whoops. in Melbourne and Sydney. And I, I used to say this when I was in Tasmania, I'd go, oh, in, in, no, in Australia, this is what we would do. Mm-hmm. And Tasmania <laughs> is part of Australia, but right. very, well, very... I think yeah, like yeah.
0: I'm, like I'm part of the tourism board explaining that the people here in America. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, Tasmania has all these great whiskeys. Like, yeah, but Australia, like, part of Australia. Yeah.
2: So, um, but what I learned really quickly was that one thing that bars and customers that don't have that storytelling really want is something that they can come back to mm-hmm. and that it be consistent from batch to batch. And so in as much as all of the releases it's like at that point in time were single cask, mm-hmm. right. small batch production. So mm-hmm. that is 300 kilos of malted barley, two, oh no, it's about four days in, of fermentation. Wow, it's a long time ago. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, four days of fermentation and then um, two still runs, right? And then one barrel, never to be seen again so it's well beyond any single barrel program that we've got here because it was one batch of barley yes right
1: it's not a single barrel program it's just a single barrel
2: never to to be repeated
0: again that wasn't really a marketing ploy it's just the only way of doing it it was just the way that
2: bill optimized the distillery because that's what
0: distilleries in america did in like 2012 a small batch single barrel program that was the whole marketing point of it
2: yeah But he, it just was, you know, the way that he'd structured the distillery was like, well, one barrel is one day's production. Right. Made sense. So, um, I really learned very early on in my whiskey kind of journey um, that consistency is a real selling point for a brand. Something that, you know, like ideally you can have... um, as really distinctive like that every time you have it you're going to go well that's starwood or mm. that's lefroig i mean that's the perfect example right, right no one's ever left wondering what they're drinking <laughs> when you pull the cork on a Lefroy
1: there's a lot of sounds that are made before oh that's Lafroy. No. <laughs> yes a, there's a that, afterwards too the, yeah there's, there's either the hmm oh wow that, oh that's Lafroy, or there's a the, Mm. Freud. <laughs> yeah but distinctive not the le- not, nevertheless yeah, exactly and so to yeah. me
2: we wanted to have that distinctiveness and that kind of then when i started to think about okay great we've set up a distillery what are we going to stand for
1: and was all of this built off this kind of these sort of aha or light bulb moments that you had working at lark mm. when you know that you talked about the time when you you'd seen this whiskey that had been matured in the the wine barrel, and you've, you've tasted it, and you're thinking, wait a minute, there's something else here. You've gone forward, and that whole time, you're thinking, there's there's a rabbit hole there that I want to go down.
2: Yeah, there was definitely a rabbit hole that I wanted to explore, because if we could crack that nut, then, well, we'd have Starwood, right? Yeah, something yeah, yeah. that's really distinctive, mm. but
1: also really approachable and delicious. Do you know what I really love about this story? Is that it's not like steep... You know, I think we all have heard the my granddaddy's granddaddy and blah 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 but like this was like 15 years ago mm. and and it's kind of been consistently moving forward and it's culminated in, in you being here in lakeview east and the key and the lake studios famous <laughs> studios no there's no folklore to build a marketing program around because or even fake folklore but, but it's I mean, more
2: authentic now or i absolutely. feel it's I, authentic authentic yeah. Yeah. I was about to say like for me that's never been i i think that once, once you let go of whiskey made in the finest of Scottish traditions, mm-hmm. then you've got a playground that actually can outscotch Scotch.
1: Hold on, no, yeah, no, <laughs> right. no, no, no it's
2: no.
0: Inter- It's an interesting because you always say that Star Wars is more Australian than most Scotch is Scotch.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent, a thousand percent. And the other thing as well is I feel like you know, a lot of scotches, and I say this as a Scotch guy or, or someone that, you know, used to work for scotches.
0: Comes from the motherland.
1: They come from the motherland. Um, but I think one of the coolest things about Star Wars is that you guys really could have, and this is, I really, obviously I don't know, know as well as you two, but I feel that consumers, the way that they see it is that you guys could have rested on your laurels with the the Solera, the Twofold and the Nova mm. and then done single barrels. Yep. But that just hasn't happened. You know, it's, it's really been like, I feel like so I speak to Jake and it's like every six months you guys have got something really, really cool that's in the works. Whether it was the, um, was it called the, the Seafader? Yeah. 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 That was a super, like really, really cool, interesting innovation. And then the ginger beer cask, which I was absolutely obsessed with, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things are just bits and pieces. And that's one over Avail, the last two, Available two, May years. 17th. Yeah, there you go. In America. Amazing stuff.
2: Yeah. And I think that, you know, so innovation's kind of at our core. And that comes from a, a few places. The first is, you know, we've got really broad regulations. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're so broad you can shoot a cannon through them. Like, yeah. there's just nothing there on the page to restrict you as long as you are making you know, a whiskey from a fermented grain mash that's distilled and aged in wood for a minimum of two years. That's it, right? So wood given... being the wood, key point there. Right? Yeah, In a s- container. And so, you know, all of a sudden, you've got so much flexibility to
1: take things for a walk. We were listening for the dog. She's just singing along up the stairs. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so um, innovation is really important because we've got the license to do that. Mm-hmm. But secondly... Um, I don't have tradition. Yeah, it's we great. don't. We don't have the that historical castle. We don't have the you know the brook by the distillery that mm. sort of we source the water from. Mm. None of that stuff exists. So why not kind of turn it upside down and use that to our advantage and say, well, actually, we're you know uh, we're a rolling stone and like we're just always going to keep trying to outdo ourselves when it comes to these project releases.
0: Hmm. So. Even before you got to Tasmania, it started with beer, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yeah. and But that was not as transferable across the world as whiskey could be.
2: Correct. So good beer back in the early 2000s, it's very different now, but good mm. beer doesn't travel well. Mm. You know, we know that. And I guess I had an itch to scratch for a few reasons um, to sort of scale a brand globally. Mm. That was really important to me. And so I just couldn't, you know, particularly given I was living in Tasmania at that point in time, I couldn't see how I was going to get from, you know, an organic microbrewery Mm -hmm. making beer in Tasmania to the rest of the world. It just just seemed like a a stretch too far, even by my audacious standards.
0: Did it have to be always to the rest of the world or just Australia?
2: No, to me, it was the rest of the world. That uh, That was an important part of what I wanted to do. Before I started um, in thinking about beer or whiskey, I was in e-learning. Mm-hmm. Um, you should have waited a few years. So from 1999, yeah, that's the gag last year. It was like, yeah, I didn't see any future in e-learning, so I sold the business. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the the thing about that, the reason why I actually did sell the business was I came to a conference in 2001 in in the United States and saw big brands like Sun Microsystems, Microsoft, Mm. you know, Blackboard, which is still around today, Mm. Oracle, all these big brands had kind of developed their own e-learning management system. And I thought I've got no hope against that sort of behemoth. And even if I were to raise capital, I think that coming from Australia at that point in time, it just would have been too difficult a thing to scale. So I, um, I came back and sold that business and then thought, okay, well, what is it that I can scale? What is it that I want to do? And one of the things in the back of my mind was, well, you know, one of the challenges I always had with whiskey uh, with, with e-learning was that no one really understood what I did, you mm, know? Right. And from a family perspective and, you know, being a good Italian boy, I wanted to make my family happy. <laughs> and so they didn't understand. They just thought, well, like you look like you're having a good time. I guess that's fine. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to make a beer. You know, I'm going to make a beer. They'll know what beer is. Mm. And so that's where it started. And then from there we moved. You know, like like I went very deep into a business plan in Tasmania, on an on organic microbrew. I've got a label. I've got mm-hmm. like uh, a brand name. What was uh, the name?
0: I don't think you have ever told me the name.
2: Stronic is in Mount Stronic. Very good Scottish name. Um, <laughs> it's a mountain behind the farm that my um, wife's family grew up on. Mm. Yeah. So um, that was the idea. And then we shelved that. And then I did some consulting work for high growth startup businesses looking to kind of scale up because I had that e-learning experience. Mm -hmm. And then one day I was talking to um, the government advisor who took care of the program that I was part of. And he said, what are you doing here? It seems like, like very random. Usually people at your age are here f- to start a family because family's already here or there's some sort of government job that's got them back. In Tasmania? To, in Tasmania, oh. yeah. It, was, it wasn't gentrified at that point in time. And I explained to him the whole good beer doesn't travel well story. And he said, oh, I've got someone you should meet. And that was Bill. <laughs> yeah. And So yeah. You th-
0: I don't think I've ever heard you say that you wanted to make... A beer or a whiskey to prove that you were doing something, because I think people are more confused about what we do. If you say you work in the spirits industry, I usually get like, "What do you do for your job? Like, you're always traveling somewhere." Yeah,
2: I mean, everybody think I'm like, Oh, what's his name? Um, the you know Leo DiCaprio in, in right. The Great Gatsby. You know, like always with a mm. Manhattan in hand, with a tuxedo on, smiling calling with a glint. It's usually how you are. I would you know? say know, pretty accurate. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Calling
1: people sport, sport. <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> on, um, so, so it's uh. It's not that, but yeah, I, 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 wanted to make something, something real and tangible mm. and that could kind of an object, you know, was really important
1: to me as opposed to intellectual property per se. Yeah. But equally. There's something to be said for, like you say, like that tangibility of something that you've made and seeing it, yes. right. Versus like an app or, you know, yeah. or e, you know, you know, e-learning is yeah. a great example. Exactly. And, and so. I think I suffered from that a little bit over COVID, you know, like. While you know, you know that they've got the product in their hands and it's like a tasting, but over zoom, it just felt like yeah. it's not as tangible. Like yeah. at the same time, it's just the screen, like you're, it's a 2d thing at the end of the day. And that's that so true. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: And the thing, the thing that really struck me, I guess, was from a, from a, from a whiskey point of view, I chose the most, you know, from beer, which is like weeks, right? <laughs> to years to kind of get a product from yeah, you know yeah. so i couldn't he have chosen whole a whole yeah it's like you know <laughs> we're, and gonna do it.
1: we're gonna do it right
2: <laughs> and that's kind of like you know very much my temperament is that i'm a you know an all-in kind of no guy you yeah, know no halves. halves yeah exactly
0: so you go back to melbourne to start the distillery in 2007 mm. or nine, nine nine um what was the population of Australia's thought on whiskey back then. What were they drinking? Was it whereas was craft whiskey even a term? No,
2: no, craft whiskey wasn't a term. Shivers craft Shivers, gin on, wasn't maybe. a term. So it was um, blends, mm. Shivers and Johnny Walker, Johnny Walker, yeah. mm-hmm. um, Single malts weren't pop, as popular as they are today, for sure. Right, um, and um, a lot of mainstream bourbon was being drunk. By mainstream, I mean Jim, Jack, and Wild Turkey. That was basically all the bourbon that was being drunk in Australia.
1: That's all I need. It's all the bourbon that's being drunk these days here, I suppose. Wild Turkey's having a renaissance. Well,
2: the funny thing about Wild Turkey is I think for the longest of times, it was like per capita the highest consumption in the world was in Australia.
1: Uh, I would not surprise me. I was going to say that. I know that despite there only being, what, 25, 30 million people Mm. in Australia... Um, there was a massive amount of uh, scotch imported there. Yeah,
2: and and both scotch and bourbon. You know, I think that scotch has a historical kind of mm-hmm. relationship, of with, course, um, given the colonial ties. But bourbon was definitely from the eighties onwards, and most of it was drunk mixed in cans right. with cola. So, um, you know, and and you know, there's nothing better than turning up to a party with like. I think it was Wild Turkey Gold. They called it. Oh, yeah, it I've like heard of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight yeah, percent yeah. ABV Wild Turkey. It was basically Wild Turkey 101 and cola. Yeah, we didn't muck around, right? Well, so.
1: the the only other story that I know, I've never been to Australia, unfortunately. I would love to go. Oh, you would somebody fly you out there? You know,
0: <laughs>
1: I've not done quite as much work on Star Wars as some of the other people that probably deserve to go, but eh. um, you know, the big thing that I hear and uh, and I've seen. Scene tell of these, and I've got a lot of buddies because a lot of Brits are always out there, and a lot mm-hmm. of Aussies are back home, right? So we're always touching base with each other. But the bags of wine, oh yeah, that's also a big thing. Everybody always talked to me about goon bags, and I yeah. was like, "What the fuck is a goon bag?" We boxed bag yeah. wine here,
2: baby. <laughs> yeah, it's basically box wine, but we invented it. Like the was Australian, and of course um, it was. It was just a very convenient way of moving us a, a lot lesson. of wine from one place to another and so huh. as opposed to the old flagons yeah you had these uh portable things which were great for picnics and well, barbecues and
1: the one that i heard was that the best thing about it is that if you are homeless if you're a vagabond you can drink a whole four liter two or three liter bag of wine yeah then you can blow it up and it acts as a pillow yeah it's very ingenuity
0: of you it's like how <laughs> people are turning true. now uh, shopping carts into grills there you go there you go yeah yeah beautiful that should be your next uh business mm. venture yeah. The world's your oyster. Yeah. Just yeah. convert your uh, your old stills into some sort of smoker. Take
1: that back to the Italian family and be like, look, this these are the, the Vitali grills. No, no. The, yeah, yeah. yeah,
2: So, yeah, that was 2000, 2009. We m- moved back to... We're drinking RTDs
0: before they're called RTDs. We're drinking yeah. bag wine, no single malts, but you decide let's start a single malt distillery in Melbourne yeah. as a 10th distillery in Australia.
2: Yeah. 10th whiskey distillery. That's what yeah, it's true. And um, the biggest... So, the categories of consumption of spirits was whiskey was number one, vodka was number two. The third largest category was one brand called Bundaberg Rum. Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, it was beyond.
1: It was like the Tito's, but of Australia. Correct. At the
2: time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just had a, had a very, very deep following. Um, millions of cases. Oh, wow. Yeah, millions. All of in Australia. Australia. All in Australia. Wow. Um, it's dropped off quite
1: substantially since then. No, no exportation to places like Indonesia or... No?
2: Not that I'm aware of, hmm, no. Right. I know that they tried to export it to the US, and the, the folklore is that um, <laughs> the agency that was taking care of the focus groups sort of rang up the office and said, look, I think something may have happened with this shipment um When we brought it over, we want to run it's the desirable. test. Horrible! We want to run the test again, and then they ran the test again. And s- suffice to say, I think something Bundab- also
1: happened to this but <laughs> Bundaberg's thought, never made it, it to America. A, I thought
0: it was more of a Trey Zeller story of how oh, the first seafarers he did only like what one of the three barrels made it, pretty much, or two of the three barrels made it. Because
1: I think it was one. Was one, was, one? one was able, one one, was to use. One was probably because
0: of the weather. One was probably because the people on the
2: boat. They drank it. Yeah, no, that wasn't the problem. Um, and not to, be mist- to not to be mistaken
1: with Bundaberg ginger beer, which is amazing. Right.
2: Yeah, they're two separate brands, two separate companies all together. The
1: Bundaberg ginger beer comes in the um, alchemy colored glass, mm-hmm. right? The dark brown yeah, glass. Yeah, dark brown yeah, glass. Yeah, that's great ginger yeah. beer.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so... Yeah. Um, uh, We were pretty excited, and the thing for me was like, well, you know what, if millions of cases of Bundaberg rum can be drunk every year, then there's no reason why an Australian whiskey well-crafted at a decent price point can't be, you know, up there as well. And that sort of got me thinking.
0: So when did uh, Sam enter the picture? And the reason why I bring up Sam is because he's still a fixture in the story 15 years later.
2: Yeah, employee number one started in July of 2009. All I had was literally the day that we met i was getting the keys to the distillery at Essendon fields the old airport hangar and um i said meet me at the meet me at the site we'll check it out and like you know because I'm a very romantic kind of guy, it's like this is so bootstrapped, though. It's oh, like, yeah. listen,
1: I've not seen this yet, but you want to meet me? Then I'll give you a chance. Yeah, he's <laughs> also his background is brewing, never distilled a day in his life. Oh, yeah,
2: and it's like, I just thought we could you know open the door and like walk into Walking. this place together, hold right? and
0: maybe bring some flowers, <laughs> so a bottle of champagne to break over something in there.
2: In typical day fashion, I was late. And then what, <laughs> Sam's waiting there. And then I got you the have key, no and huh? and I, and, um, I, <laughs> I got the key and put it into the door, and it was jammed. It wouldn't open. <laughs> And so I was like, oh, Sam, I think I'm going to have to go and get some graphite or something to kind of lubricate the lock. So we got some graphite, oh, lubricated the lock, oh, and then opened the door. And it looked like, basically, Qantas had had a Christmas party in this <laughs> airport hangar and closed the door behind them and left. Oh, Literally, Jesus. tinsel in the offices, oh. crap left behind. This is the July as well. Yeah. Jeez.
1: So we... They're, they're winter. You, and you, they're, it never crossed your mind, though, to go and look at it first before you said to Sam, like, this guy. No, because it's like, it
2: is what it is. Yeah, he, you know?
1: listen, if he if he was going to walk away, then he wasn't the right guy. Correct. Correct. Right. Yeah.
2: And so... Um, I should have walked away. <laughs> I
1: doubt that.
2: We spent, like, the better part of three months just cleaning the place. Wow. Shit. Like, prepping the floor, organizing the plumbing, doing all that sort of stuff. And then um, we're really fortunate enough to get these old... Uh, Copper pot stills. They weren't old in terms of use. They'd just been around for a while, but never used. Oh, right, right. And they were um, the same scale as bills. Mm. So Perfect. a 600-litre pot still, which actually was 500 litres, too small. Um, so it was 100 litres off. And then an 1,800-litre wash still. Oh. Spirit still was um, 500 and the
1: 1,800-litre wash still. So at least you had a little bit of uh, almost familiarity.
2: I knew... Yeah. Sizing. Yeah. yeah just to kind of
1: gauge things properly. Yep.
0: were you distilling on your own at Lark by then when you left
2: so I was responsible for the spirit run because okay. the spirit still was at the at the tasting room but the wash still was actually out at a brewery in mm. the suburbs of Hobart
1: back they'd bring
2: it over they'd bring the low wines over wow yeah. right hmm. and then we would distill at the distillery and I mean that would be totally forbidden today like in terms of the regs yeah. Um, but it was great. We, we set up the distillery and the ambition was to move from three barrels a week, which was what Bill was doing with the same equipment. And we were consistently making about 21 or 22 barrels a week from the same equipment. And so just you two. Yeah. And then we recruited, um,
1: massive difference from when you were doing three, three a
2: week to 21, 22 a week. Yeah. With the same investment program Mm -hmm. that we talked about before. So, um, we scaled up. We scarred up big time mm. and, um, yeah, just kept busy making whiskey. Like it was just single malt and we funded the distillery off the back of those barrel, that barrel program, yeah. as opposed to making gin or vodka or things that we I didn't believe in, you mm. know. And so um, it was you only- You only have one passion, ladies yeah. and
1: gentlemen. Yeah.
2: As one of my mentors say, if you're chasing two rabbits in a paddock, you're not likely to catch either. This
0: is the day I resign from Starward and go full key in the lake. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Give him his P45 or so, whatever you call it here.
0: I mean, I like to think Starward is renowned for the wine barrels that we use mm-hmm. to barrel age our whiskey inside of. How did that take shape?
2: Yeah, so it wasn't like day one. I thought I'm going to crack that nut mm-hmm. that... I had, you know, the kernel of an idea. Back yeah, it wouldn't
1: leave you alone kind of thing.
2: Um, it was there, but it wasn't what I needed to solve right away because A, I'd made a promise to these investors that I was going to buy back their whiskey. Mm-hmm. And so I needed to have a commercial product at the end of it that would be something that I could confidently say, this is going to be good. And so the majority of the whiskeys aged in Tasmania were in fortified wine barrels like port, but can't call it port because it's from not from Portugal, right? I didn't know that. It was tawny. tawny oh, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't know they're using tawny barrels mostly. Tawny barrels and then a spattering of um ex bourbon casks. Cause you you guys also have a tawny
1: cask, right? hmm right behind you.
2: Yeah. Which
1: is delicious. Yeah, yeah, my favorite. But
2: and again it was one of those things where it's like, well I'm not gonna do tawny barrels because that's Tasmania. I'm going to but I am thinking fortified barrels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the alternative? It's apera, which is most like sherry. So Mm -hmm. tawny is like port. Apera, like aperitif, is like sherry casks. And so we um, were fortunate enough to get 400 barrels from a, a fortified winery called McWilliams. They were like... $80 $80 each, which is laughable now. It's probably closer to 1200 to $1,500 for the same barrels.
0: <laughs> it caught up another $400 so we in could, four
2: years. We could, we could quite easily have just kept the barrels and sold them as an investment, let alone yeah. what was inside the barrel. Yeah. Uh, we had them, um, recouped. So shaved, toasted, recharred, resized great. to 50 liter, 100 liter and 200 liter barrels. And then we just set off and, and started filling all of those barrels according to a, you know, a filling schedule. The idea being that the fifties would age first, the hundreds would age next. And the two hundreds would age later on.
1: Just as a note, you would have made just on saving the bat holding the bows You would have made $450,000. Just if you bought the bowels at 80 and you'd held them and sold them. There. Yeah. <laughs> that's <crazy. laughs> that's, that's yeah. That's crazy. That's was mental. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy money. So, um,
2: a
0: real fungible token. Well, there you go.
2: Yeah. That's way above my pay grade in terms of, nomenclature <laughs> what it what's it nfts oh nfts yeah, yeah, yeah. but
0: it's fungible instead of non-fungible, non-fungible. oh That's i see very clever
1: it was like a millennial joke <laughs> yeah 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 one of those <laughs> losers over there yeah
2: um so so we started making <laughs> i'm quitting this podcast too actually <laughs> starwood it was just basically called starwood back then <clears throat> starwood malt whiskey i didn't even say single malt whiskey because i didn't want to kind of trade off the Scottish kind of mindset. I didn't
0: even know it's last night that you just called Star Wars. It wasn't called Solera initially.
2: No, it was just called Starwood. And... Um,
1: what, what were the greens in it? Just that curiosity. It was just single
2: malt, malted barley. It was just malted barley. Brewing spec, because Sam and I were avid brewers, mm-hmm. home brewers, and Sam more commercial than me. Mm-hmm. And so we went for a darker colored malt, still like technically a pale malt, but just a little darker, almost towards an amber ale. We used the Saison
1: Yeast... And I was going to say, where did you get the yeast from, I suppose? Because was it like a big corporate, like like a liquid distiller's kind of yeast? Or yeah, was it-,
2: it, was a, it was a brewing yeast right. that we could kind of get as dry. Um, a dry brewing yeast that we could get um, in commercial quantities because I wanted it to be consistent. But that flavor profile off the still, you know, all the bananas you get in, all the tropical notes that you get in Starwood and the clove and the spice are all from fermentation. Nice. And um, it's such a distinctive flavor profile. That it sets us apart mm-hmm. right from the get-go, and you know we're not Robinson Crusoe with that. Like if you think of Westland and Matt Hoffman and what they're doing from that perspective, and Westward, um, a lot of a lot of craft distillers kind of take that mindset of a, you know brewing mindset to the first part of the process.
0: It's the obvious next step for so many people in America. Um, it's funny that it was happening all across the world too because there's always craft breweries starting to pop up in you know, the early aughts and then distillations about five, six years later in America was, okay, this whole craft movement's happening and a lot of those people were brewers like yeah. you just mentioned.
2: And so we we just focused on making one style of spirit really consistently every single day and laying away all of those barrels in, in a pair of casks and about nine months in, we started sampling what we realized was that, you know, the fifty-liter casks are quite small. They were heavily charred, mm. and all that hard work that we'd put into kind of sucking crafting up. this, this delicious spirit that you could drink, like it's like a barley schnapps, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a mm-hmm. funky new make spirit that needs time. It was all gone. All that beautiful flavor had gone because yeah. the charcoal, the char, it's just sucking it all. It of just mm-hmm. did what char, does what char does, right. and so we kind of quickly realized that these fifty-liter casks are going to be way overcooked the hundreds were actually pretty good and the 200s were okay mm. right this is nine months in and so by the time we launched we changed strategy altogether and we didn't launch the 50s first then the hundreds and then the 200s we created a vat, mm. which is a blend of the 50s hundreds and 200s mm. That then we kind of have never looked back from.
0: Did you ever build a Solaris system or was it all VAT-based? All VAT-based. Okay. Too many
2: hoses, mate.
1: Oh, I'm sure, yeah. No, yeah, I I, can't.
0: I mean, our buddy Nick who built one up in Wisconsin. It's crazy. It's uh, too
1: much work. We we also had... um I don't know if you've met Steven Dragon. Uh, he, he works for Lustal.
0: He's their national... You met him in New York one night. Right. He, during an Aussie party. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Just a very 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 knowledgeable man when it comes to sherry and even just listening to what the spanish have done with the solera system Mm. and how complicated that is i'm just like wow the amount of labor in there is just wild so
2: we just took you know shamelessly stole from glenfiddich with their 15 year old solera Mm. but the difference is that we don't go back into barrel so once the aged whiskey goes into the vat, it stays there right. until we disgorge it. And roughly, depending on the batch and where it's going, it's anywhere between 10 and 20% of that vat, which is 5,000 liters, which is, what, mm-hmm. 1,200 odd gallons. Yeah. So it's not much, you know, that we do for each batch. And then we top it up with aged whiskey.
0: How long was it, was it just Solera as being the Star Wars whiskey?
2: Uh, till 2015. Oh, is that March long? 2015.
0: Nova was next, right?
2: Nova was next. And that's when I was like, oh, I need a name for the first movie <laughs> now. And so... Was Nova... it Nova
0: or, or Solera that was turning into a, a strawberry flavor? And you thought... like it... That's
2: that's Nova. Okay. Yeah, which was called Wine Cask Edition. So it was Starwood and then Starwood Wine Cask Edition.
0: Were you, so up until the point when you made Nova, was it only just McWilliams, a paracast? Pretty much. Oh.
2: Yeah. Um, we had, I don't think we'd even filled any ex-bourbon casks. And the reason why
1: was not because I thought we You could see would... that you're a rebel and you're rebelling against the system. Well, it's not that. because right.
2: we... I, I knew they'd make delicious whiskies. Yeah, It but... was that it would be easier to sell the bourbon casks in the first instance because there'd be a familiarity to it. But then... Well, we then where do you go from there? We wouldn't have mm. the Laphroaig test covered, mm-hmm. right? And have a distinctive flavour profile that's uniquely Starwood. mm and so to me, it was like, no, like, I mean, I know this is going to make great whiskey. And so we just filled two barrels, two of my favorite bourbons, maker's mark, four barrels, two b- makers and two wild turkey. And that was it.
0: Were those that went into
1: Vitalis?
2: No, they were the first bourbon cask okay. that we had.
1: What was the, f- what was the moment, I suppose, that you first kind of took a step back and you got some perspective and you thought, fucking hell, this is, this is, this is what I wanted. Has there been that moment? Like, you know, you, you, you're making Nova in 2015 and you're thinking, okay, yeah. there's something obviously is going right here.
2: Yeah. So we were talking about this the other day and look, we we're kind of joking. Where are the talking points for this right, podcast? Yeah, yeah. But one of the things- I feel that like we've done okay so far. So far, so far, yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that like you have to have as a distiller and particularly a whiskey distiller is some irrational belief. Yeah, right. Right? That Delusion. Okay, your words, not mine. (laughs) Um, It depends on which day of the week and whether you're successful or not, right? Which is kind
1: of like funny. Because delusion is a rational belief if it's unsuccessful.
2: I think so. Yeah. Or there's got to be some sort of, it's on a continuum, right? Hmm. Where it's like delusion.
1: Fine line, yeah. So
2: so to me, um, I've been really lucky from those initial barrel investors that sort of said, yeah, let's do this through to then um, other investors, private investors coming on board to then distill Ventures seeing us, to have people believe as irrationally as I did at those points in time, right? That like when I first started, it's like I want Australian whiskey to be on every back bar in the world. I mean, that's crazy in 2007 by anybody's standards, but I still believe it obviously today, but with the, you know, in the marrow of my bones, I knew that that's what we wanted to do and that we could do it. And we brought people along. And so that was a moment of like, oh, wow, there's a possibility we might just pull this off. If other
1: people are believing this is possible, then fuck it, maybe it is. And
2: then, you know, like, and then we scaled up and we got bigger stills and other people believed in that. And, you know, like the audacity of the ambition kind of kept on growing and people kind of bought into that. And so it's all been off the back of, that initial irrational belief that I had and then others believing in that or just thinking, mm. well, we're not going to die wondering, let's give this guy a go. And I'm so grateful for that, you know. Um, but truly, I think there's probably... There's probably three moments that come to mind.
3: Mm.
2: The first one's actually quite early on and... and, and um, we struggled. We were kind of like white-knuckling it for a long, long time. Like we were like 30 days from away from insolvency for the better part of two years. How oh. big was the staff during then? And we had six or seven on the team then. You know, so these are families that have got to feed people. Right. It was extremely stressful. And um, the thing that kept me going through that period of time was not like, I mean, I'm stubborn, yes. But it was um, every time we did a. I used to basically have a trestle table, one of those plastic Mm -hmm. tables that you can get at Home Depot. Mm -hmm. And I'd go to like the lobby of like corporate buildings on a Friday afternoon and do sampling and sell whiskey, like cash money, because you can in Australia. Um, Can you imagine? Wow. And we should try that. Um, the feedback was always positive. Yeah. Like mm. no one kind of said, oh, this isn't for me. Thanks very much. It was always positive.
1: What were you selling, sorry? That uh, was Solera. Uh, yeah, Solera. So you were selling Solera, but like how much Australian dollars was?
2: Oh, um, it was 70 bucks, which at the time was the same price Belveni Doublewood was. Wow. Which was my benchmark in terms of price point. And it was a great story that when I got, when, um, in, in Australia, there's a great retailer, probably the same sort of footprint that a Binnies would have, mm-hmm. um, called Dan Murphy's. And I met with the um, head buyer of Dan Murphy's. And he said, so define success for me, Dave. Which, I mean, you know, coming from me, I was like, oh, I've got to temper this down. Because if, <laughs> <laughs> if I say global domination, he's going to think I'm batshit crazy. <sighs> So I just said, well, you know what, like we're pitching the product at the same price as Belveni Doublewood. I think that's an exceptionally well-crafted Scotch whiskey. Um, and I would love to kind of think that we could sell as much Belveni Doublewood in Australia, uh, as much Starwood as, as Belveni Doublewood is sold. Mm. So that was the first benchmark. You
1: really tempered it, down. Yeah. And, really, just and you know, I'm proud the- of you. Looking back, I'm proud of, I'm proud of. 2012 D, but that's still very
2: I was. ambitious. It's still ambitious, yeah, oh yeah. By by Tasmanian standards, that would be would have been a factor, like ten x, um, the volume right that had been produced that would, was being sold. So it was still audacious in that context. Mm. And so he's like, mm, okay. And so every <laughs> every time I'd go in to meet him for like updates on sales planning and programming and sampling programs, he wouldn't print anything out, but he'd just show me the screen and chart Starwood versus Belveni Doublewood. And he goes, you're closing the gap. And so... Um, that
0: shows he believes in it too. If he's taking the time to
1: print that out yeah, and show you and remember, they like, remember that conversation. They still yeah, right. are
2: today. Um, so, yeah,
1: that was like the first... so you were 30 days from insolvency over that period like people two would PM. believe right yeah. but
2: the money we were earning from selling the whiskey was nowhere near enough to keep the lights on to fund mm-hmm. what we were doing moving forward um, because we were investing in marketing and mm-hmm. building a brand and so um i was the plan was to raise capital but it just became very Time sensitive, and the worst time to raise capital is when you need it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and so, but we found investors and they came on board and they believed in what we were doing, and um, that was amazing. And then after that, you know, we were able to kind of build the business up for about 12 months and get um, a bit of a runway going, yeah. And then we had Distill Ventures come on board, which has been transformational for the business. What year is that? That's October 2015. So there were three years of selling the whiskey where it was just like... That was hand selling. I don't know if we're going to make it, but I just had... So the the first moment of like, oh, I think we're going to be okay, was when I'd talk to people and that would just pump my tires up, even though it was exhausting.
1: Corporate office, you're selling it for 70 bucks, cash in hand. And you're like, you're going there and you're destroyed because you've done six, eight, 10, 12 hours at the still... You've been sweaty or whatever, and you're like, Oh look, I need to go and do this bloody hand sale. You go into an office and the first person you speak to is like, Holy shit, man, like this is legit. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, I remember like why we're doing this. Yeah. And this is possible.
2: It's possible. And so then you just kept, you know, kept my head down and kept on going. We raised that capital. We um you know, we kinda it was very, you know, financially it was really, really disturbing I guess is probably the best word I could describe it as in terms of the toll that it took on everybody at the distillery at the time and um, you know we had to just to clean up the balance sheet everybody got paid 100 cents in the dollar but we had to liquidate the company and like go through an insolvency like a chapter, what is it here? 11, 11 yeah. a similar sort of thing so everybody was paid but we just needed to clean it up which is never a great feeling anyway and then um, and then we got on our way again and sort of like started to scale up and recruit great people to the team and, you know, start to build things out. And then, so the second, the second moment, so moment one was mm-hmm. trestle tables. People, this isn't as crazy as I thought. The second moment was, um, when Distill Ventures came on board, it was like, okay, they see things the way I do. This, so this is 2015 you were T- October, 2015. How'd they find you? We found each other. Mm. Like Aww. we still haven't fun- Yeah, I mean, it's cute. <laughs> it's a romantic story. It was funny because one of my colleagues, like from Tasmania, who um, owns the New Zealand whiskey company, Greg Ramsey, said, Dave, I think you should check these guys out. They'd be up your alley. So he sent me a link to Distill Ventures. And so I filled out the inquiry form. And then within 24 hours, I get a call back from somebody doing a survey on... I was like, wait, did, is this in response to the email? I goes, oh, no, no, no. We're just doing a general survey of the markets. And I was just like, this is crazy. Because literally 24 hours before I'd sent an
1: inquiry off. My, my skeptic my skeptic yeah. bell rings a little bit there, right. but go on.
2: And so we, um, no, that's solid.
1: It's oh, really? It's
2: independently verified.
1: Wow. Yeah. No, no, no. So that is truly a coincidence.
2: Total coincidence. Damn. And, you know, they were, we were by weeks, I'm still upset about this, we were their second whiskey investment. Storning was their first. I didn't know that. The Danish
1: distillery. Really? Yeah. They've done really well. Yeah. And
2: so, um, but the thing that they loved about Starwood, and I don't want to put words in their mouth, but it was very much, obviously, we had inventory ready to go. So all of that crazy ambition that I had Mm -hmm. meant that they didn't have to wait years upon years for us to start beginning that scale up. We could start to learn more about what it takes to be a global brand. We hadn't yet launched Nova. Wow. So when, it's
0: just, just Starward. Yeah. Point. We hadn't yet huh.
2: launched Nova. And I explained to the team at Distill Ventures, all of the things about Nova. Like, so Starward as it stands at the moment is an Australian take on a Scotch whiskey. It's fortified wine barrels, a but very stylistically in that sort of framework. What we're doing with red wine, delicious, approachable, like all of the things that we know Nova to be now, it's going to be like aged in these amazing French oak barrels, American oak barrels, different sizes, different wineries, um, and really sold the story on it. And their initial instinct was when, when they asked me, so where is this going to sit in terms of price point? They immediately thought that I was going to say that, well, if this is 70 bucks, that one's going to be a hundred bucks because of its, you know, all of the provenance that's laid into it, all Mm. of the, and I said, no, 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 it's going to be the same
1: price. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't realize though that that was the goal. That was the the
2: goal. And I think that the moment that I said that they anticipated that I was going to say it was higher because a lot of artisanal craft people mm-hmm. kind of think from process point of view mm-hmm. right. as opposed from the drinker's perspective <laughs> and I'm like no I mean if I could I'd do it cheaper because Belveni Doublewood's a great whiskey but like if we could be at a Glenfiddich price point we'd sell more they're, <laughs> they're right?
1: giving it the, where has he pulled out the Double mm-hmm. Doublewood thing yeah, from and yeah, in yeah. your head you're like I want to catch Balvenie Doublewood <laughs> so so, so, so Dan Murphy are in the background looking, yeah, yeah, at, yeah. looking at graphs well, yeah. Yeah. So that
0: kind of goes back into the layaway programming is that you put it away with the hopeful the, the intentional the potential of the, the brand growing over the years and coming back to it versus like, no, let's put it out. Maybe you aren't getting every buck out of it. Mm-hmm. that You should from the long, from that short term standpoint, but from the brand growth and recognition Correct. that would eventually grow it.
2: Well, and even in the, on the, on that initial whiskey that we sold, like I, we didn't make any money, right? Cause all of it went back into marketing yeah. and yeah. the brand. So we were like naively. I thought my life would be easier once we started selling whiskey. <laughs> but it got infinitely harder because yeah, like cause making whiskey is so much easier than selling it. Let me tell you, yeah, the
1: net profit right. is a different thing. Than...
0: So when you start selling it, we get back to number three, but when you start selling it at this point, how are you, is it just you and Sam out there doing it? Do you hire sales reps? Do you have distributors in Australia? We had a distributor. Okay.
2: Very different to the model in the U S. Yeah. Um, distributors are way more like um, smaller sales teams. Um, most of them take on agency brands, mm-hmm. as they're called. Like, okay. um, and the team that we were working with had Patron, which is not a bad brand to be a part of, because they had all of the on-premises. Was that, was that tequila
1: or something? Something yeah. like that. A clear 2010, right? Oh, yeah. 2010, right? Patron 2010. Oh, God, yeah.
2: They had um, this amazing whiskey called Brookladdy. Oh. oh. Come and on. the Sazerac Portfolio. Wow, wow. So I was the poor cousin kind of coming into that see, ball
1: you're, ball. The, you're the ugly step but that. they loved what we yeah. were doing and in yeah. fact this is a, and it's like Australian
2: a, yes they kind of another irrational believer right and they were so caught up in what we were doing that they actually signed the agreement the distribution agreement the first day the spirit came off the steel so this is three years before we had product wow they signed a distribute agreement
0: did you ever sell any clear whiskey white no. whiskey Okay.
2: And so so they were they were kind of like hook line and sinker you know on the Dave train. <laughs> well they, they just mixed <laughs> metaphors there, but you know what <laughs> I mean.
0: Yeah, don't get on the Dave train. Don't get aboard that Especially one. Especially with a with a fishing rod. Uh, yeah. <laughs> were they looking for local and craft or local brands? No,
2: people- I don't think they were. Oh, well, I was curious about it cuz you know like people I was would beginning I love
1: to be a fly on the wall in those first meetings of you getting up and being like, right. So this is going have to be just yet. as good
0: as a Vini Doublewood. <laughs> <We don't laughs> Same don't have price point. Yet.
1: I don't have anything yet. In fact, the key to the hangar where the distillery yeah. is, six <laughs> months really ago, work. didn't even yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. we couldn't even open the distillery yet. But oh. this is going to be really good. Lo- you have been like, give it to me. You How know? long
0: were you in the aftermath of the Qantas uh, Christmas party in that hangar?
2: Before they came through? Before you moved out of there. Oh, so we moved out in 2016. So it was six years that we were there. Okay. So did the job. Into, it the, totally did into the job. Birdie did Street. The into Birdie Street. Okay. Yeah, which is Port Melbourne where we're at now. So um, Yeah, the that second that second moment mm. when when Distill Ventures kind of we, you know, we saw the world the same way. Should
0: we explain what Distill Ventures is?
2: Yeah. So um, you know, for people that are in the in the tech world, they're kind of familiar with um, um incubators and accelerator programs that kind of take Hey, I've got this idea for an app. Um, you know, if you swipe left, you like someone. If you swipe right, you don't like them. I think it's the other way Callum's around. Callum's but...
0: infamous on those apps.
2: And um, you know, th- but but it's just an idea. I need, to, and you know, like I need a, I need a couple of million bucks to code it and yeah. build it out. Then there's going to be a venture capital fund that will kind of seed, invest into the business to kind of get it to scale. Um, um, and that's quite common in in tech world, in the mm. tech environment, and in biotechnology and that world. But not and there's
1: always and just so that everyone's listening, like within obviously Distilled Ventures is one, but there's many of these mm. in the alcohol space. Yeah, and a lot of them do different things. You know, some of them will give you money as like a almost like a loan. Some of it's like a grant for equity and so yeah. on and so forth.
2: So so you, that, yeah, Distill Ventures was the very first drinks yep. accelerator program, and um they have um, not only access to capital, which is really vital for, particularly for a whiskey distillery, but more importantly for me um, was access to, you know, and that was kind of the thing that I've since learnt, you know, when you find people that are aligned to your vision, the hard conversations that inevitably come up are so much easier to have because you want the The same same thing. thing. Um and so the great thing about that moment where it was like, okay, it was I found I found somebody that sees the world the same way. Yeah. And um was able to kind of build build a business case to the investment board to kind of get us the money that we needed to scale up. And then, you know, that was twenty fifteen. By twenty sixteen we'd moved into Birdie Street and I said, you know what, I think we're undercooked. Like, we need more capacity. Oh. We hadn't even turned on the new stills. Mm. And I'm already asking for more money. And, <laughs> and they were like, yeah, we think you're right. Mm. And so they then doubled down again. Ambition, and, a
0: constant theme in Dave's story.
2: And so we, we were really fortunate to have the backing of Distill Ventures at that point in time. Because all of a sudden, that white-knuckled... 30 days away from insolvency, am I going to... Seems gonna, like a far way away, away yeah. It's like, you know, I don't have to worry about that. I just have to worry about making a connection with a drinker or, you know, making great whiskey and scaling that up, which is no mean feat, right? Like, it's making... Yeah, I mean, 20- that's
1: the three of us, I think, for the last four or five years, that's all we've done, really, isn't it? Like, you know, trying to make that connection, inspiring someone to fall in love with a brand and... Exactly. And I, I honestly think that while you know, while the making of a spirit and actually, to be honest, and one of the big things that, that for you was easy, but I think it's difficult for a lot of other brands is concept. Like, okay, you know, you, you had this, you call it the Lefroig moment mm. or the Lefroy concept, I suppose, yeah. where you have something that's completely unique. No one really knows what it is like, and then they try it and it's like, wow, okay, there's nothing else like that. I think developing that as a new brand, you know, and a lot of these people that have come through distilled ventures, look at, their, their brand and they say wait a minute we're becoming too much like x mm. we want to be something completely separate whereas i think you know that part is difficult the the obviously the, the distilling part is difficult but at the end of the day those two they they're kind of like they're a little bit more scientific they're yeah, re- right. research driven whereas every like building a connection with the consumer is just it's there's so many Avenues you can go down and it makes it so difficult, right?
2: right, totally. and that's kind of been the experience over the last four years in the United States and that's why it was important for me to come here, yeah, was that um you know we knew how to build a brand in Australia. we it was I, and you know I don't want to diminish like all of the other whiskies that we have I take the keys to any Australian distillery such as the quality if they had as much volume as we did yeah, <laughs> right um, that's the challenge. But you know, we quickly became the incumbent whiskey from Australia, um, and y- you know, I think Starwood is about seventy percent of the Australian whiskey category by sales volume. You know, um, in Australia. In Australia, so like we're number one, two, three to ten. You know, like we're the biggest.
1: All the different SKUs and
2: and so the thing. Not one. Not two, not one Three. to ten. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we occupied the spots. Ron James of whiskey. But the, the <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, but the point is that, like, when you are incumbent, when you have all those points of distribution, when you win awards, and when you've got a budget to build visibility for the brand, well, in your home market, there are really no excuses, right? Right. If you've got all those things checked. Um, But we have very few of those, you know, we still take the awards, we take the great tasting whiskey, but we have no recognition in the United States and no reference point because that's that's challenging, right? Like it's challenging because bourbon's the 40-ton gorilla in the room and no one's giving up one square inch of shelf space for this wet behind-the-ears Aussie startup, you know, without there being a bloody good reason for it. And so, um, you know, that that Australian experience was fantastic, um, but it was really important for us to kind of take out of what we'd learnt over there outside of being Australian. Why are people making a connection with the brand? What was it about what I wanted to do to build this icon mm-hmm. that yeah. would then give us an opportunity to set ourselves apart in the United States? And we really haven't spoken about that, right, because... The thing about Starwood was, you know, yes, I love whiskey now, but I didn't come from it with, like, the historical context to say even Jake's got with, you mm. know, your grandpa. Yeah. Or, like, you know, Shivers Regal was what we gave our accountant for Christmas as a <laughs> gift because it was in a beautiful box. So we didn't
1: drink Scotch whiskey at home. I don't drink Shivers Regal either. That's good, good liquid. <laughs> the 12... 12- we used to call it Windex back when I started. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, we were um, working for them. guy selling it too. He, he, his <laughs> yeah. words, not ours. So. But
2: the thing, the thing is that, like, it wasn't part of my world. But I fell in love with it because it was a vehicle by which I could kind of achieve this ambition of something mm. on mm. a global scale. Yeah, right. Some object that I could take to the world. It wasn't going to be e-learning. So now his, it's going to be this,
1: And you know, as the joke went, it's fungible. It's tangible. Yeah, mm. like it's something that you can right. hold on to. Yeah,
2: exactly. And and but. It wasn't just to be another whiskey alongside Scotch and bourbon and Irish. Of course, we wanted to do that and be on people's like, you know, drinks, trolleys at home as a viable alternative to those whiskeys and offering something different. But I just felt like the next level was, we're an Australian whiskey. Like why this should also have an Australian attitude. And one of the things that we uncovered... (laughs) <laughs> with with aging in wine barrels, is this is really delicious mixed. Yeah. Okay. Right? That actually we can make a 94-point scoring whiskey. In, in uh, water whiskey water. enthusiasts. Wine enthusiasts. Wine enthusiast uh March 2023. Um but we can also make bloody delicious drinks with this. And at the price point, particularly with Twofold, because that was the other point I forgot to mention before. And then I said, "Oh, I've got this idea for a weeded whiskey," and that's. And they said, "Well, wow. and where do you think that's going to sit in terms of the price point?" And I said, "You're well. thinking 190 bucks <laughs> yeah, a yeah, ball yeah. or something." Yeah. Have you ever heard of Weller? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, "Oh no, it'll be cheaper." And they're like, "Okay, this guy's this half guy's the price like,
0: gas." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's literally.
2: Sh- yeah, and so um, once we kind of uncovered that this makes delicious drinks then it was like, well, actually, we've got an opportunity not only to kind of be an Australian icon on on that strength trolley as a sipping whiskey, but we could also take this whiskey from the end of the night to the beginning of the night as well. Yeah.
0: I think it's a good point or good part to come into play. What's the culture of Melbourne, the culture of Australia was developing, not just like, obviously from your point of view is whiskey, but with food, with the cocktail scene, the emergence that we're having here in America with cocktails and all these great restaurants, the same thing's happening in Australia. And yeah. then you see a part of Star Wars being able to fit right in there.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, as, as something that we can start the evening with, because yeah. like, you know, we do it with gin and tonics we might do it with like um, a rum and, you know, a dark and stormy, right? We call them. Yeah. Um, Berm-
1: yeah. Bermudian Bermudian uh, cocktail. But um, um,
2: That was with Bundaberg rum. Oh, see, they were Bundaberg and the Bundaberg ginger. The Bundaberg ginger. So yeah, there you go. Right, dark and stormies. And so, but why, you know, why not with whiskey? We kind of revered it. Mm. And then all of a sudden, whiskeys that were mixed were some, somehow inferior. And I just wanted to turn that on its head.
1: Was that your third, was that the third big breakthrough? The third big aha moment was when you got the twofold going?
2: No, um, that was a very special moment. I'll never forget when we launched twofold, but actually it was last year um, Mm. at the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Mm -hmm. Never heard of it. (laughs) When we picked up Distillery of the Year. Yeah, um, that was amazing. And not only did we do it with a record number of medals, but also as the youngest distillery of the year yeah. in the history of the competition that i kind of had the third moment of like okay holy shit i think we're on our way yeah that's cool
0: what was that feeling like
2: it was in, you know um i think as founder mm-hmm. you are both the chief champion of the brand but also the chief critic mm. of it as well so that was my job well you know
1: you're not very critical
2: i hate to break it to you but you're not founder mate (laughs) oh you meant chief critic critic
1: oh critic okay yeah Yeah. i was gonna say i don't know if he was buying for a founder chief (laughs)
2: Chief critic i see i'm not not delusional like you
1: (laughs) hey it's called a rational belief there we go aspirational yes
2: so so um that was a moment yeah you know because it was it was Very special and it's easy for you to um, go, but we could do better. But what about this? But what about that? Or we haven't done, you know, it's easy as founder to kind of highlight all the things that we can be improving on. It's actually quite difficult sometimes to take stock and step back, back, as you're saying, and go, look at what we've done. And that was a moment where independently, I think we could say that we've achieved a lot, number one number 2 that um you know it is one of the most rigorous competitions in the world so it wasn't just one person saying it it was a, a panel of of peers really yeah. that had kind of concluded that and i think the the third point was you know sam was there yeah when the speech was given it was a 9 minute long speech um by you, st- by oh, steve yeah, Beal. Yeah, right and beautiful a, beautiful speech too it's a beautiful speech yeah and uh, it's just really nice to share that with people that you love. You know Especially I mean? Sam. Man. Yeah.
1: Like, you know, he he was there when the key wouldn't, <laughs> when the key wouldn't open the door. Yeah. Exactly. He must be thinking,
0: You think 15 shit. years later you're sitting in San Francisco among From the peers of the, of the, the industry? Air? Yeah. Damn, the
1: entire world yeah. to have the eyes upon you. I mean, that, uh, that was one thing I was going to ask about. I'm glad that it was one of your aha moments or the big moment because like last year I remember when like it came through. Jake didn't even tell me it came through on my... <laughs> You know, on the Brown report. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on the Mark Brown report. And I was like, what the fuck? And then I text him and he was like, yeah, man, I think it's insane. Like the place, <laughs> we're, we're losing our minds over it, you know? Which transitions
0: um, perfectly into what we're drinking too.
1: Oh, yeah, actually. Very good point. Yeah, yeah this um, is...
0: Oh, it, you, you, you. Well, the funny story about that too, when I found out I was in San Diego um, one day of getting COVID, removed from getting COVID. Um, yeah, doing lose shots with our CEO, some bone marrow shots, you know. The classic. Classic. <laughs> Dave wasn't there, um, but I we got the news. We were in San Diego having tacos. Uh, Sean, Katrina, Tony, myself, and I were like, "Holy shit! We we won!" Like we we knew we were in contention for it, but we did it. So I call um, Gil, who runs the enthusiastic whiskey hobbyist club here in Chicago, that had purchased a single barrel. I believe it is for thirty two seventy eight. Was the number we entered. Um, a few single barrels into the competition and four of those won double gold awards, which is the highest achievement at the San Francisco world spirits competition. So I call Gil and he's like, Hey Jake, what's up? And I'm like, well, I got some good news for you about your barrel. (laughs) He's like, Oh, what's that? I don't think they had gotten it yet. No, I don't think they received it yet. Um, and he's like, Oh, I'm on the treadmill. Should I get off? I'm like, I mean, maybe if you want to. <laughs> um, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm eating tacos. But uh, it turns out that your barrel just won. Um, double gold at san francisco and we're distillery of the year and he just like he lost it He was like oh my god it's so cool it's the first whiskey barrel they'd ever bought when they started doing their whiskey club and doing zoom tastings we're the first distillery to ever offer them whiskey to drink along as
1: we give them also the pr- a testament to their palate but yeah
0: absolutely it's yeah cool and then uh steve malloy um you know we we're talking about him earlier at lunch today uh his barrel also won distillery of the year so two of those were just sitting in uh, in chicago
3: yeah
2: yeah so
0: two of the twelve that we won. Two
2: of the twelve were are single barrels. One of them we're drinking right now, and the other one's in Chicago. Oh, I'm just long gone. I'm sure.
0: Uh, one well, was in Australia, and then where was the where was the third
1: the fourth one? I can't recall. I can't recall either. Just to sidetrack us a wee bit, is what's the movement like in the you because you keep talking about global domination, mm. right? <laughs> and my next question, you know, <laughs> to run along with the delusion slash irrational belief, you know what 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 does that look like from here because you were saying that i'm the biggest critic or you know i'm the mm-hmm. i'm the person that sees the biggest pitfalls or whatever you know the massive news last year just the year and then obviously i'm sure that there was a bit bit of a bump in people looking for Star Wars, yeah trying to try it out and so on um moving from here onwards what does that look like you know for you as a founder and then what was your like vision for Star as as a brand
2: I, I had a moment where it was like, maybe we don't enter in any more awards. I, I
1: had the same thought.
2: Like, what is there more to prove? No, nothing. Right? Like, And not that you should ever kind of rely on awards to build a brand, but, you know, they're nice to have. But it was just like, well, there, there's nothing to prove with this anymore. Yeah. And so... Um, Let's just close the doors. Well, <laughs> leave it to someone else to win Distillery of the Year and give them a leg up because, like, I don't... Profess to be the best you know what i mean it's just like amongst the peers of that it's like the oscars like all of those you know best movies uh, could it could
1: they could, could all win they could all win and nobody given, gets slapped
2: mm. given given the different night of the week you yeah know? and so um i just felt like well we've won we've done what we needed to do to prove that we can be the best in the world like leave it to someone else to kind of now do that um and So there was that, Mm -hmm. like a moment of like, let's now focus on making that connection with the drinker because that's great. It's great for billboards and it's great for like the neck tag of a whiskey bottle and things like that. But ultimately, you know, whiskey... It doesn't change the liquid really, does it? No. no. And whiskey of all of the drinks is about storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, I think that that's the role I was born to do was be chief storyteller. For the brand and so your
0: business card says so uh chief storyteller
1: does it yeah
0: yeah Could. <laughs> yeah. is that it
1: there i don't
2: know no, that's I, mine no they're, they're jake's i've run out of business cards and jake won't print me anymore oh i'm not in charge of that uh i get mine printed in australia oh yeah okay i gotta sort <laughs> that out um <laughs> So, so we we um <laughs> we just want to focus on telling. I'm stories. I'm glad our
1: finger's on the pulse here, guys. <laughs> yeah,
2: we got you know we two thousand focus... order
1: three years ago, so I haven't had Oh set. right, yeah, right, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. We just we just gonna focus on telling stories, yeah. right? About you because know, that's one thing coming back to what you were saying earlier that we do have in spades, mm. like new whiskey brands, just because they're new. Don't mean they're not spoiled with the riches of storytelling. You know, I mean, where are we at time-wise? I could keep going till the wee hours well, of the morning. I'm just right?
1: des- I'm just desperate for the Star Wars Qantas Christmas edition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Christmas party edition. Yeah, to celebrate that first opening of the yeah. door. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Or Sam's edition. A flight yeah, from America to the Australia. Belief we, edition.
0: We party for fourteen hours on a flight. Like this is payback for what you left behind in this uh, yeah. the walls of Star Wars. The yeah. walls that would become Star Wars. Yeah. When did you have the first idea to expand to the US?
2: Mm. Well, I guess uh, you always wanted to probably. I always wanted to because like um, my wife's family's from Seattle. So right. uh, I kind of made a promise to my mother-in-law that there be some point in our future that we'd be living oh. in the United States. And so that was, I mean, that's a bit of a joke, but like, you know, seriously, it was always part of the plan because if you want to be a viable brand globally you need to have relevance with an american whiskey drinker number yeah. one in america
1: I mean, uh, you know alex ricard of Pernal ricard said that you know a few years ago maybe four or five years ago they asked him what you know what markets are your priority and he said oh there's three usa 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 yeah, yeah. you know now i think maybe things like over COVID times changed a little bit um obviously the 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 sort of up and coming asian market is just like the amount of whiskey that they're buying is incredible but i think to this day the way like still the place that you want to be if you want to be on any back bar in the world it's probably an american one but this by accident was perfectly made for the
2: american palate yeah because it sort of sits really well between you know i mean it's a weeded whiskey if we're talking about twofold but it's also a blend Right. And so, depending on who you ask or who you talk to, they're kind of their reference point, (laughs) you know, is either a weeded whiskey or a blended whiskey. And it's both, really. We were just having that conversation,
0: what, two days ago? Yeah. Our whole team. Yeah. What what are you guys calling it? Wheat or blended? I'm like, well, I say it's a weeded whiskey that's blended with malted malted barley. So I say it's It's both. both Yeah.
2: Right. But I think with an American audience, that kind of resonates. Right. A. B. Also
1: Also, the palate as well. Yeah. Right. And
2: then, and then, um, from a, from a cultural perspective, we don't have to encourage people to make cocktails with whiskey in a way that in, mm. in Australia we do still. You know, there's some work to be done from that perspective. Was twofold a
0: coincidence with wheat, which ha- what's happened with the emergence of wheat over the last decade and fitting into that category? Or is it just something you had an idea for?
2: No, it was by design. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was so... I don't think we've touched on this, but like the five whiskeys that inspired starwood were makers mark never heard of it johnny walker black never heard of it Double doublewood <laughs> oh wow heard of that one i think we've talked about that <laughs> yeah. one yeah.
1: lafroig mm. right and wild turkey um it's amazing because the world comes full circle at uh, my when i was working with aberlauer the brand lead he was called at the time he worked for mbv which is a very very similar portfolio to the Stilled Ventures, mm. but it's within Pernod Ricard. It almost acts as like an angel investment portfolio uh-huh. where they take the brands that they think are these up-and-coming brands, you know, the their accelerate brands, mm. or whatever you want to call them, um, expansion brands and so on. He worked almost exclusively on Balvenie for probably seven or eight years. Um, he... His name's Andy Weir. He was the brand ambassador for Balvenie. And he launched the double. He launched the Caribbean cask and all this kind of thing. So I'll have to tell him that he was the benchmark for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And still is
2: in a lot of ways because notwithstanding, we've kind of... Do you still get the graph from Dan sur- Murphy? ...surpassed them in sales <laughs> in Australia by a long shot. But um, it's not that that really was the inspiration. It was a, a standard of quality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so for me, it was a, as approachable as maker's mark as consistent as johnny walker black Mm. because i've had the privilege to kind of taste johnny walker from the 60s 70s noughties in 90s noughties and today Mm. and it's changed of course and some of them were cork tainted but you could still thread a needle through that. you'd still it was still johnny walker black right yeah i
1: think yeah johnny's the for scotch you know whether you like it or not you know it's the pinnacle of what it would be to build a brand right like i think it's 20 million cases Mm. it's crazy
2: yeah and so so um as consistent as johnny walker black as well crafted as belvenny distinctive as Lafroig, and you know as iconoclastic as well turkey one day yeah you know, those were the those were the inspirations from a liquid perspective, but not because I wanted to be like Belveni Doublewood or be like Lefroy. it was like they stood for something mm. that, you
1: know It's the path they've carved out.
2: Yeah. Right. They 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 were really clear on their intention, you know, and I wanted to kind of borrow from that and be clear about our intention too. Which well, what
0: do you say that intention is?
2: Yeah, to you know, to be equally as relevant at the end of the night. I thought you were going to say global domination. Global domination. No, 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 no. No, it's genuinely to kind of have a relevant whiskey that can be drunk at the beginning of the night as well as the end of the night. Yeah. That's it, right? Mm. And so if you think about our single barrels, this delicious whiskey we're drinking right now, sure, three fingers, a couple of episodes of something on Netflix and you're going to be happy, right? You could do that with
1: Twofold too, if that's your mood. One of my favorite cocktails of all time is with Twofold. Yeah. The Starburst. Oh, Star Wars, Starburst. So we... And the first time I remember we tried it, I think we were in good measure, actually. I think it was, yes. Uh, we tried the Star the star Wars, Starburst, okay? which On was accident. In, on It was just like we were in there and um, Safia was there, one of our favorite bartenders of all time in Chicago. And we asked for a two-fold highball, mm-hmm. a couple of two-fold highballs. And she said, uh, do you want orange, lime, or lemon in mm-hmm. there? And we went for a mixture. <laughs> and it was just like... I remember tasting it, and, and this was the same day that Jake was telling me about how bars and retailers could purchase a case of twofold and what the bottle cost was. I don't know if you want me to say it online, but... Um, I mean, sure, for all the buyers out there. Well, I think I think at the time it was like 19 or 20 bucks a bottle. I
0: think 21 then, yeah. Now and, it's nah, less. And
1: we were drinking these highballs, and I was like, oh my God, so you're basically telling me that this is less than a dollar an ounce, and it tastes like this. Yeah. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, and that's kind of been the ambition, right? Yeah. Like, And so we can do both things. We can be relevant at the end of the night. And if you're like a rusted on bourbon drinker and like your weeded whiskeys, well, you're not going to be disappointed, you know, with twofold in a rock, right? In a glass. Mm -mm. Um, But it makes delicious whiskeys for people that don't even know they like whiskey yet. Right. They just, that's kind of the, that is the ambition is to kind of get to the point at which people go, well, no, I don't like whiskey. I like Starwood. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Star
1: isn't whiskey. They just think it's its own category. Yeah. Like the Bundaberg rum. Yeah. Almost. yeah.
2: <laughs> and so, you know, they were a long way to go before that becomes a reality, but it's certainly enough to get me out of bed pretty excited every day.
0: So at this point, 2015, you launched Nova. Yeah. Still Ventures is coming around. You expanded the Birdie Street. Mm-hmm. Staff is obviously expanding. Mm-hmm. You have a distilling team that's used to making single malt whiskey. Mm-hmm. They really enjoy making single malt whiskey. They define themselves as single malt distillery. Yes. And you introduce this wheat idea. Yeah. The contention that built.
2: It was not fun. Because obviously wheat, spirit, you know, a lot of vodkas are made with wheat, right? And so a lot of... Did they know know
0: what was happening in America with wheat?
2: Not really.
0: I guess we really didn't either, I guess. If you Not think back really. in 2015, it was just starting the whole Pappy craze, the, um, the, the whole weed, Weller. The wheat
2: thing for me was genuinely Maker's Mark. You know, I kind mm-hmm. of bought into their playbook of like, you know, high high wheat content bourbons are easier to drink than high rye right content bourbons, right? <laughs> Which is pretty straightforward. You don't have to need a master's degree in sensory to kind of get the differences in flavor profile from those two things. And so to me, I was like, well, wheat's going to be a great foil for this single malt. Like it's still going to drive for flavor, but everyone was like, well, it just feels like we're putting vodka in a barrel and blah, blah, blah. blah. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is terrible. And so we, you know, there was a little bit of, a little bit of resistance to start off with because I think it was so unknown. And, you know, one of the things that like, it comes back to is that irrational belief, right? Right. Of like, you know, if you want me to spreadsheet this and come up with a business case that, you know, I'm sure at, you know, at at Perno they've got gate processes and all the things you got to go through. Bureaucracy
1: is at an all time high, my boy. Right. There's so many steps and so many things you got to jump through. It won't make it. No. It
2: won't make it. And, but, but if we're just going, you know what, what's the worst that can happen here? Right. Is this like a one-way door that once we walk through it, we can never turn back and become a single malt whiskey distillery? No. no. Mm. So let's give it a go because if it unlocks all of this potential of being like a product that you know retails for around about 30 bucks a bottle, I mean, that's in the US. Right.
1: That's crazy. What What is it at in Australia?
2: Yeah, so now it sits at um, around about 80 bucks a bottle because the difference in australia is over that period of time we've never taken a pay rise but that 70 dollar bottle of solera is now 130 dollars because of tax
1: oh shit
2: so it gets indexed every half year to inflation but the craft whiskies
0: are sent over there from here 180 190
2: mm-hmm. so we we could quite easily go to binny's this afternoon buy a bottle fed exit to melbourne Cheaper. and it would cost less than it I could sell it to you at the tasting room. (laughs) Such is the tax system in Australia.
1: If anyone out there is thinking about crazy plans, call us. Yeah, Starting a new business.
0: (laughs) Did you know that uh, Chris Blantner started the Chicago Coffee coffee Company over COVID?
1: Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I thought you were going to say, before you said about Chris Blantner, I thought you were going to be like, you can only have one passion in life. Oh, and ours is FedEx and Star Wars. Yeah. But Australia, <laughs> I have a whole
0: collectibles industry, actually. Oh, I heard this. I didn't yeah, hear this. Yeah.
2: So, so um, yeah, we were, we were pretty, pretty... I was very, like, obviously strongly advocating that this is going to be fine, that we needed to kind of distinguish ourselves, that if we were going to be an innovative whiskey coming from Australia, that a single malt whiskey is only part of that story. Um, We broke a few rules. There are very few distilleries that kind of do a single malt and a double grain under the one roof. Mm. Particularly if you think of them starting as single malt whiskey distilleries, typically the blends are different names altogether. Right. Even though there might be a whole heap of single malt from that same distillery in it. Um, From a Scottish point of view, of course... If you think of the modern distilleries, you know, here in Chicago, like you can get rye, millet, mm-hmm. like wheat, corn, you name it, right? Tokai Cass. So so um, I felt really comfortable that that wouldn't be a problem and in fact that no one would care. They're just going to ask, is it delicious or not? You know, like make right. an assessment in their own mind of like, this is delicious and has great value for money and I like it.
0: What phase was twofold in the innovation process? Because I can't explain to people how many SKUs we release in Australia versus what we are shown on the shelves in mm. America. When you have a Tawny cast, when you have all these different malts, you have Dolce, you have Unexpeded, all these different things. What was already being innovative for Star Wars around 2015?
2: You know, we were really focused on scaling up, to be fair. Okay. So... As I was saying, like, we were doing 21 barrels a week at um, at the Qantas maintenance hangar. And by the time we finished using those stills, like, literally they were bandaged because they were, like, leaking so much. Yeah, they just broken. <laughs> they were broken. Like, if you fill them up with water now, it'd be like a Western movie when, they, you know, they shoot the barrel. Yeah. they just kind of be pissing water out everywhere. So, like, the um, scaling up, we went six times the scale. Right, wow. and so all of a sudden, the fermenters are bigger, the um, yeah. the stills are bigger. Everything's bigger, and you don't just click and drag the numbers and they work, right? Hmm. And so we spent the first part of twenty sixteen really kind of dialing They're in those stills, mm. and that was another bit of support that Distill Ventures provided us through Diageo because we were able to kind of work with the lab team in Menstree and get them to help us get the spirit oh, yeah. dialed in. To within and
1: you know, to where we wanted it to be. So, I suppose the big question for anyone listening to this is you show up to a whiskey show in 2018, 2019, Mm -hmm. and you see this guy, yeah, (laughs) you see this idiot over here. What is what happens there? Because, did you guys have anyone in the US? No, no, I literally just landed. So you're the Sam for Star Wars in the United no, States. No, I am
0: not the same as Star Wars. But
1: hold on, hold on. Sam, Sam, has, we'll we, way,
2: he- Sam
0: did way more in the first month than I've done in four years.
1: We, we've we we've heard the story, obviously, from Jake on the pod a couple of times. <laughs> yes. But what, can you tell it from your perspective? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, and keep all all swear words to a minimum. Okay. Because <laughs> literally just been, what, a week moved to the US?
2: Yeah. Literally. And so we were at the at a whiskey show. Yeah, one of the Benny
0: shows. The Benny's, the
2: Benny's show. Yeah. But
1: have you gone and you've been thinking in your head, okay, I need to find someone for Star Wars?
2: No. <laughs> but I knew at some point we needed to hire someone. What
1: yeah. I love about you, Dave, is you obviously make instinctual decisions. Yeah. Gut decisions. Yeah. And you're like... If it feels right... Well, feels you like had I'm an
0: ace up it. your sleeve too with Katrina.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: But that was still... You didn't know when she's gonna return. Exactly.
2: Yeah, but um, so I was with Polly, who's our kind of market director in 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 the Chicago, Illinois area, and we were doing samplings of Starwood at the whiskey show, the Binnie's whiskey show, and Polly and Jake had worked together previously.
0: Yep, at Slow and Low.
2: And so Jake had come over, and he had like a yeah, <laughs> he had come over. And, like, he was photographing Yeah, I was covering the event.
0: it for, uh, I think, the, I don't know, one of those websites
2: back in the day. And so he yeah. came over and said hi to Polly, and we started, you know, Polly said, you should try this whiskey, and he thought it was okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I had heard of Star Wars, I just never had tried it. Yeah. Cause was, it, was it on the shelves anywhere other than Benny's?
2: I don't think so. I doubt it. At was he even point, on the shelves? I I don't know to be honest. I may not have been. It was really early, <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: really early, and so Look um, at you
1: pioneers, you. <laughs> we were
2: talking. We just got to talking, and I kind of felt like, um, I could work with Jake, and mm-hmm. he was talking about like taking a job with a Glen company,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and I don't. Know, and I'm like, oh, if he's looking for work, you know, he seems to know his stuff about whiskeys. Take a punt. <laughs> I was like, and I then, after we left, I just kind of turned to Polly and said, if he's looking for work, do you think he'd be a good brand ambassador for Starwood? And she goes, oh yeah, totally.
0: So it's Polly's fault. It's Polly's fault. <laughs>
2: it's Polly's, thanks Polly. Um,
1: <laughs> Shout out to Polly. Yeah. And
2: so, I found you. Yeah. He, he moved on, like he was taking photos and I said, hey, I want to have a chat to you. You, you, you have a minute? Yeah. <laughs> And so She's I just like fuck. I'm in so much trouble. No, oh,
0: yeah. I thought you, I thought you just wanted like photography work done.
2: No, and then I offered him a job on the spot
0: <laughs> at Goose Island.
1: I love yeah. that. I remember.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, it was a weird time in my life. I'll put it that way. Because um, I was freelancing for free, like most, of the, for, like literally freelancing for a lot of companies. So I was probably writing that article. Whatever I was doing for free, I had just come from an interview with a Glenn company. I was the next day offered a position at Virtue Cider to be the creative director. Oh,
1: yeah, I remember that talking about that.
0: Yeah, and it was – I hadn't had a full-time job in almost a year by the time I quit Koval. I quit Koval uh, mm. to work for um, Star and uh, Slow & Low as a contractor to drive their whiskey van around the country <laughs> <laughs> and take photos and, like, be, like, a kind of mini brand ambassador. Uh, and then they offered me an extension in California – Britney and I had just gotten engaged and she's like, so you're going to move to California for two months. Now I should have followed my reckless ambition like you and just done, gone and done it. But no, I've been, it would have been hell driving that van through San Francisco and LA. Oh my God. I couldn't imagine it. It's one thing doing it in Chicago, Minneapolis, Milwaukee. Flat. Yeah. Right. Right. That's exactly what I thought. i like, where the hell am I going to park this thing in San Francisco? I uh, and you wouldn't
1: uh, anything with this. I've I got robbed twice or my car got right. broken in. I thought it's the same San thing.
0: France. So they're like, "Oh, we'll just hire somebody else in California and I started working for this beer company and doing stuff for Beguile and all these local breweries around here and you're like, "Okay, I'm I, I kind of want a full-time job until the time I'm getting married in July of this year. I like I want some, you know, sustainability in my mm-hmm. life um and so does my wife or fiance at the time there's more hard than anything yeah. actually and but i remember i i i called her i'm walking down willow street uh to the bus on halstead from that event and um Brittany called me and i was talking i'm like i think i just got offered a job by this australian guy <laughs> and she's like what i don't um, know
1: if he's delusional if he's got a rational belief
0: right? I, well, I also didn't really know he's like we'll talk tomorrow and i'm like uh, i'm like is this, did we just have a job interview? Like, <laughs> And I then the next day, I just did the interview with Virtue Cider, Goose Island, and was sitting in their parking lot. And you're like, here's what we're going to offer you. It's like, just come on and do it. And I was like, yeah, let's cool. just do it. And from there, it's been four years almost yeah, to the day. Almost to the day. Yeah. yeah. So thank you.
2: No, thank you. You know, mm. Jake... Uh... Talk about instinct. We were talking about instincts before. I mean, his instincts are like spot on when it comes to our brand. And also, you know, we've t- touched on everything, like, you know, making that connection with a drinker. Yeah. He just has it, mm-hmm. you know, the, the it bit, you know, in terms of just being able to talk to people on their level, whether they're distillers that have been doing it for 40 or 50 years Or someone that's brand new to whiskey, whiskey, right? He can talk to them on at their level and make them feel really comfortable with whatever he has to share. And mostly it's you know, good stuff
0: (laughs) that he shares. I try. But I think that's like what Star Wars represents too. Like it is family. In a sense, you know, you and I both come from very similar backgrounds of like big Italian families and, um, you know, we both drink probably terrible red wines growing up Mm -hmm. table wines and having that, uh, that insular, you know, feeling of family and making sure there's a connection. But we also like have this really great connection to whiskey. Um, yeah. And it just, it it felt right. It still feels right. Even with, uh, this guy hanging around quite a bit, um, it's Sorry uh, yeah, you yeah, know, It's okay, but it's uh, it's been an amazing ride and opportunity, and I
1: can't I don't... believe it's taken us this long to get you on the fucking podcast. Well, uh... I just
2: wanted to make sure he was a keeper,
1: like you know. <laughs> you will like, listen. I'm not coming on after a year because I want to make sure that you're you know. Still he's, he's, you know, I, it's but, like but a... we
0: were talking, you know, like yes, a couple of days ago, we're like, we aren't, we haven't met our goals, like at all. I think there's so much more for us to do, but you know look how many back bars we are in chicago look how many mm-hmm. retailers we are like how many distillery of the year and people organically talking about starward where
1: yeah it's it's also been rising on you know the conversational pieces in the media mm. right you know how it's like media conversation conversation share and things like yes yeah. starward is one of those brands that every time you look it's starting to climb it's yeah. getting closer and closer to the top you know and it's just a lot of the work that you're doing online and you know talking to people about it and giving it sampling it with people and whiskey clothes always always having it in my pockets yeah (laughs) looking out you know know the stories about Jake right he's like one of these old guys in New York (laughs) (laughs) that just opens his overcoat his trench coat and rather than (laughs) rather than shady Rolexes rather than fugazi fugazi He's go hey you want to you want to you want to sample of Starwood you want some Starwood over here man come on. You uh,
0: used to make fun of me too much.
2: <laughs> yeah, because it's true that's the problem. But the the thing you know just on that you know one of the things that that distributor said early on you know during those white knuckled moments it's like Dave it's going to take three years yeah. before mm. you get some traction in market mm. and almost to the day in Australia it was like yeah it was like we started selling. At the beginning of 2013 and by 2016 we we're starting to get some momentum in market right yeah. um here it's been four and a bit years but we also had two years of like mm-hmm. nothing so this is the year this is that third year yeah you know where things are going to start to in my view just kind of build on its own momentum and we'll still need to push it it feels know? like it's happening it, it I does mean,
0: just like the last six weeks in texas alone mm. how much it's changed in the first four years
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, so that's happening. I think the other thing that I've realized is that a thriving local craft whiskey scene makes our job a whole heap easier Mm. Mm. because we're not then going into a market saying, hey, we're new or like, hey, we're so different or like we're not, you know, um, from Kentucky. Like there's a lot of brands doing that initial work. Right. So that all of a sudden we're just a different version of that local distillery yeah. that just so, so happens to come from Australia. Yeah. And that makes a huge difference. That makes a huge difference to our ability to kind of have conversations with drinkers because they're no longer fearful. They're just curious. Mm. And that's been, that's been, you know, we saw that during the lockdowns, people became way more curious about mm. whiskey spelled both ways from all around the world. Right. you know and that was a we were a big winner of that i think you know in terms of just being present and being able to do that and you know uh even though it was tough for all of us you know just kind of being locked in our basements making sample bottles of whiskey to send out to zoom groups Been there calvin's a professional at that you know uh Been there. even though you know it was a tough period of time i think we'll look back on that and say, yeah, that was when the base was established, you know, and you need a big base to kind of have a tall pyramid.
1: But no, I think, um, it's definitely one of those, it's like I say, I think it's super special that you don't have, you don't need all this, like 200 years of heritage and history. Mm-hmm. There's so much there. Like there's so much substance, even from the day you get the keys in 09, right. And you're bringing Sam on in 09 to July. I think it was 09. You'd said, all the way through to to now where last year you went in distillery year, or what that was only like 13 years later or whatever you know. and did you know in the
0: winter of 2020 star be beat Avalauer in and a taste oh my god Avalour 12 and uh, was, no was it not july 2020 no it's right before christmas
3: hmm.
0: yeah Right before Sunday Christmas, night fights. Sunday night fights. Which one? Abalar twelve and Nova. That we, Nova. We sent out 50 samples to people across the U.S. and on this Instagram show, um, they they smell, they sniff, they drink blind, 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 and they go through the notes. Not blind, not blind. Was it not blind? No. Um, and they talk about it. They do three rounds of it, and at the end, they vote for a winner. And this time, they let everybody who had a tasting kit vote. So there's 50 people on the Instagram live that had both whiskeys, at least 50 people. Mm. And <clears throat> no one. Yeah, but I'm no, here.
2: not surprised. I <laughs> a um, ball here. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, it, it, um, but it's, I
0: mean, these were two guys that drink, that pretty much exclusively drink bourbon and rye. Right. Yeah. And now like they're fans of Star Wars. Yeah. And one of them's, you know, Paying money to come to a class of yours tonight. Mm. And there's five people emailing me, like, hey, can I get into the class tonight? Because it's sold out already. Like, yeah. those are, there are awards that pay, rewards that pay off as well. Yes, the award of winning distillery of the year is absolutely huge, but those small little, for me personally, for those small little in market victories, like, oh,
2: that's absolutely working right. It's working.
1: Yeah. Totally. Importantly, when, when do you need a, a, a brand of Master in Scotland? Ooh, oh. Uh... Oh. <laughs> Actually, yeah,
2: I'll need to practice
0: talk, I, I was wondering that. if I could actually go over to Scotland for a work trip to do a whiskey festival. So, uh,
1: but you, you could go to a whiskey festival there and you could say, there's a guy taking, Dave, there's a guy taking photos here. And mm, seems, right. like, seems like he might be. He's, it sounds like he's the clean beginning cut. of a joke. Yeah. Like an American
2: <laughs> he's in Scotland selling, selling Australian, Australian whiskey. <laughs>
1: whiskey. <laughs> he's clean cut, but he has potential to grow his hair out. I, I like this guy. Yeah. No, I mean, for, well, a couple of things. You're in Chicago tonight. Yeah. Um, Big event tonight. But then what does the future look like? You know, is there anything that people should keep their eye on?
2: Yeah, well, we mentioned, well, you mentioned ginger beer cask. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is, it has a cult following in Australia. So, like we used to, we still do, run a ballot to get access to the bottles because they're just so far and few between. I think, you know, one of the things I should mention is that when we launched at that double wood price, mm-hmm. most Tasmanian whiskies would have been double, if not three times the price of Starwood at that point in right. time. Because they were scarce, right? And I think a lot of people kind of often confuse price for quality mm-hmm. as opposed to scarcity and very good marketing. You've right.
1: um, heard of the Chivas Regal effect, right? No. <laughs> so there's a marketing effect. And I know everybody thinks I'm full of shit, okay? But you can Google this. It's called the Chivas Regal effect. When Chivas Regal was bombing, In the '70s, the 1970s, and Scotch was having this resurgence, and you know everything was all really, really beautiful for the Scotch market as it started to climb out of this horrible decline Mm. it had. It had. Um, Chivas Regal went through this whole marketing thing. They put up, you know, these beautiful billboards and posters, and they had adverts and so on and so forth. And it was called the Chivas Life. This is the Chivas Life, and so on. Nothing was working. No one was buying the stuff, and so someone in Scotland. God knows who it was. Decided that fuck it. Why don't we look? We're not making it. We're not selling more anyway. Why don't we just raise the prices? That was all they did. Mm. And overnight, from the price increase, people started buying it. Mm. Yeah, because they equate they equate price to quality.
2: Yeah, and so we 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 had so you're this trying kind to say of
1: Star Wars shit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? Is that their whole point? I there? would
1: never go against the rational belief. <laughs> no, but yeah.
2: here's the thing, right? Like, I, I think that there's. It's a hard, if you're looking at a shelf and it's like, okay, I'm buying something for my significant other and I've got 50 bucks to spend. And the one that's like got the highest point score is like 35, Mm -hmm. but there's one there at 50.
1: Or one there at 49 or whatever, yeah. You're probably
2: going to go for the $50 one. Yeah, because
1: you want to use all the money that you've you've allocated as well. And
2: so there's this value is a kind of really weird Uh, psychological thing to kind of convey Mm. The, um, the reason why I bring it up is that like a lot of the limited release stuff from Tasmania back in the day was like oh last release we sold out in nine hours and we sold it for $300 a bottle so we could probably sell it for $400 a bottle and it'll take us 12 hours to sell out and so what they would do is just basically put the price up until they found their market Kind of like bananas during like tropical cyclones, you know. It's like prices go up because there's less of them. Right. And, and so, I had this kind of really strong view that just because ginger beer cask was becoming sought after was not a reason for us to put up the price because we wanted to be an approachable and accessible whiskey. And those five brands we talked about beforehand. Don't get me wrong. there's King George the Fifth and you Know while turkey does its thing and all of them have their premium extensions, but all of those products are within everybody's yeah. reach in terms of price. Well, point. under 100 bucks, yeah? yeah. So, so we took the view of just launching a ballot instead. Wow, and so everybody went into the ballot, and it was great. It's
1: like Wimbledon tickets over here,
2: right? <laughs> and so, they everyone went into the ballot, and then we would release, you know, year one was 110 bottles, year two was 200 we would have thousands, thousands <laughs> of people. So I did the math, and statistically you had more chance of getting into Harvard than one of these bottles. Wow. I'm um, only going to
0: hear that two more times
2: tonight. So we, we um, fortunately, the founder lives in the United States, mm-hmm. so we get a very good allocation. We will. We will. For the first time. For the first time, and it launches on? May 17th. And you can buy it at?
0: Uh, on our website, com sour.com, uh, Illinois, Benny's Steve Malloy. I know you're listening. You're going to be selling it too. good old Steve. Um, shout out Steve. Thanks for buying
1: those cases of (laughs) Cody (laughs) Gold.
0: Yeah. And that'll be the newest, uh, star release. So another thing to join the shelf. Um, do we have
1: a price point on that?
0: I don't know. Do Uh, we, I
2: think it's going to be around
0: a hundred bucks. Oh, okay. A little higher than I thought. So that's
1: Wednesday, the 17th of May. Sure, and hundred bucks get and online.
0: It's World Whiskey Day on May twentieth, so if you want a nice wh- world whiskey to drink on World Whiskey Day, there you go. Pick it up,
2: yeah. And so that's coming down the pipeline. Pretty excited about that. We've got some peated whiskies coming out at the end of the year, which will be fun. Uh, and yeah. And now I'm moving to Scotland to be the burn ambassador. Oh, so. you know what else is coming, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> I
1: thought he was going to say, "Do you know what else is going to Scotland?"
2: Uh, no. Um, is uh, our bottled cocktails? Oh yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. yeah, which will be cool. Maybe, maybe which ones? Uh, so we've got an old fashioned, which mm-hmm. was which one best old prepackaged yeah, old fashioned. Well. Oh, don't talk about the Manhattan. Oh. Okay, okay, it's like a sore point for me. Okay, okay. so good. I'll let it go. It's very good. Oh, he's yeah, had it. He's I've had them, it. yeah. i tried it. It's very good. Yeah. But um, the team in Australia didn't think there was a market for it there. So they have focused on a whiskey Negroni mm-hmm. and a coffee Old Fashioned with our friends at Mr. Black. Never heard of them. So um, they're all coming to... Mel- to, to Mr. The Black, sense. first name Stefan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. is the Mr. Black of the US. Yeah, really. Yeah. He is a, a legend out there who works his ass off. Speaking of legends... Dave, yeah, you're the
1: man. Yeah, this is Thank great. Thank you so much. We uh, pleasure. This, this was by, better than I thought.
0: So almost two hours. I think it's the most sober we've been at for a two hour podcast. Shit. Um, I'm proud of us. Yeah, <laughs> we have to do our real job now. Our real, real our real, my real passion.
2: <laughs> I yeah, I gotta I gotta talk to people for another you've, three hours. You even had a three hour event yeah, to do. Yeah, so and I tried to keep it timeless. a few what me- time is That starting
0: six p.m. I maybe pop my head in. So. All right. Yeah, at Bitter Pops. So if you're listening to this on Monday, it happened. Um. No.
3: <laughs>
1: Truly. It went really well. <laughs> I'm, glad,
0: I, I'm glad it was a long running joke um, with Calum and I, our entire team at Star Wars, that you'd never been on the podcast, but we had planned for you to come on in March of 2020. Yep. Things happened then, so yeah, something happened. Yeah, like, something hopefully. happened then, and I know we flirted with the idea of doing it over Zoom a couple of times, but I have been the same never way. could have done it over Zoom. And
1: we like tangible things. Actually, Stefan, mm. Dave, and
0: I almost sat down at our uh distributor's bar in Tennessee, in Nashville, and I would Portland. have
1: been so I upset. I would have been so upset.
0: I told him like Callum would cry, so oh, we dear. aren't going to do it. But um thanks for giving me a job. Um, thanks for giving me a lot to talk about, and. You know, having uh, something passionate to work to wake up every day to because uh, a lot of people don't get to do the things they love for for their job. And for me, it's always, you know, that nine a.m., ten a.m., four p.m. Whenever I decide to start my day, <laughs> I always look forward to it. So, thank you, mate, and thanks for making delicious whiskey. Yeah,
1: thank you. Yeah, yeah. All
0: right, everybody out there, go uh, make me look better and buy some Star Wars whiskey. There
1: you go.